This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film life, television, culture, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend, Madison Heinze. Hello. Oh, hi. How are you going? Good. How are you? Very well. That was a very smooth transition. <laughs> I had to think. I, I, it was a whole thought process Yeah. to get the... The Z right at the end, because <laughs> I could have just stopped at Heinz. <laughs> I know it's so true. Like you know, you think of the baked beans, and you're like, "Yeah, that's that's what it is." But yeah. no, it's it's got an E on the end. It's got an E on the end. Is <laughs> is it German or is it? It is German. Yes, ah, yes. You've got the German last name. Yes, correct. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I originated from um, the Barossa Valley in <gasps> South Australia. So oh. that's you know German territory, you know traditionally. So yeah, it's. What well, did the Germans colonize that section of Australia? <laughs> <laughs> they were just like settled there. It's like, why is it German territory there? Um, well, I don't think it's like it's not necessarily like German territory <laughs> in terms of you know strictly Germans only, yeah. but it's. You know, it's more that, you know, primarily a lot of the families there are German families. Yeah, a lot of them. So a lot of the last names are very, very, you know, common German last names. Yeah. So it's it's very kind of like centralised. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because I know my last Mm -hmm. name's German. Uh, Theobald is actually a very German name. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, but our family originated from Scotland and England. Oh, right. So it makes... I don't know how we ended up with a, a German last name, but I guess it came from somewhere. Like, <laughs> I guess. Because, uh, yeah, I, I, we did enough research into the history of my dad, mm. courtesy of him. And, yeah, found out that the name was originated from German. And it was You're called, right. um, originally, if you pronounce it in German, I think it's Tibbled. Oh, um, right. Because yeah. you don't do the yeah. TH, yeah. like the. Yeah. Um, it's just T. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's very bizarre. Whereas like everything else is very Anglo-Saxon. It like English in my name, which is Martin, and then Gregory. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know. It's very like um, I don't. It sounds so regal as well, especially we're, we're in this current climate with names, and we just lost the Queen. Yes, <laughs> I know. Is, um, yes. I was on the phone to my parents the other day. It was like one mm-hmm. of those conversations, and I think because we're not a royalist family, when we. we yeah, two hoots no, about. Neither like, am I. Yeah, um, but I remember mum and dad were just like, "It is kind of sad for us because our relation to like Prince Philip and the Queen has been our entire lives. They're in their sixties now, mm-hmm. and it's like that's an understanding because they've yeah. known nothing else, like except for you know post-war, like fifties, sixties, kind of seventies and eighties, like mm-hmm. era where you still were kind of feeling the ramifications of World War Two and World War One, and then suddenly to now. So yeah. And then suddenly we lose the Queen and Prince Philip, who was, you know, both weren't perfect people. They were quite racist and, and problematic. Yes. Um, <laughs> and also, if anyone wants to do research on how much taxpayer dollars go into the royals, it's a lot. Um, oh, goodness. It's so much money. There's, like, I think this funeral is costing England alone, like, oh so much money. Goodness. It's, like, millions. To, like, it's yeah. so enormous because it's, like, you've got poverty issues. Yeah. Of and, course. But then you've got people who sit in a castle and yep. and have a and we treat them like gods. We like yeah. the you know, the problem is the Brits treat them like gods. Mm-hmm. So you've got this downside of it where it's like it is patriotism. It is like and the same with America, but we don't have that in Australia. Mm. Like we don't have that level of well, at least I don't feel like we do have, no, have no, that level don't. of patriotism. Um because 
you know, we we're very much a remote island. We're very much like New Zealand. We don't our closest connection is New Zealand. Like yes. realistically. We've got Australia and then we've got New Zealand. So we kind of feel more affiliation to them than we probably do to our, you know, original country. Correct. Yeah. And um and also I kind of like had this debate all the time, which is like um something which is we are on technically stolen land. We're mm-hmm. a colony we're a colony island. And we stole it from the people who lived here. Yeah. And if you think about it, and it's why, like, my biggest pet peeve is, you know, I don't know if you remember in school, like, the curriculum, they were like, oh, we only have 200, 300 years of actual history. I was like, we have so much more. Yeah. We have, like, thousands. Um, But they don't really talk about that in a modern setting. Like, even to this day, and I feel like the problem now with, as unfortunate as with the Queen and stuff dying, I think it is the perfect time to become our own country and yes. and and not you know if you don't think of a republic as a great idea that's fair enough but i do think we've got so many australian figures mm. like you know indigenous people and, and indigenous leaders who should have statues over the queen absolutely <laughs> i yeah. do think it's interesting that anthony albanese as much as i like him as a pm i think it's a very odd and it's probably a generational thing it's patronism where he's like i'm going to put up this way for people to commemorate the queen in australia in hyde park Mm. i'm like why that's the most bizarre thing because the modern generation coming in care less than your generation would yeah which exactly is i guess and and i mean like for someone who's had a life like him um who's very open about that it does kind of a little, I think it is probably the only thing is that he just feels like it was part of his generation. So he's like, I want to put something for my yeah. friends and family rather than the new people. But I'm like, that's still a. It's not, know. it's not necessarily our culture, you know, yeah. it's, you know, um, with, with, you know, with the indigenous in Australia, like they're, they've got such a rich history as well. And mm. storytelling is such a, a massive thing and it's so important and the land yeah. as well so i think you know rather than concentrating on you know the queen and everything <laughs> yeah. and you know yes she was important and she you know achieved a lot and everything but you know our indigenous society is just it's so important yeah as well and unfortunately i think it gets neglected well little. i mean it wasn't it only recently a few years back that they stopped people going on uluru like yes. physically walking yes uluru and yeah. i was like thank goodness this has taken yeah. However many years for yeah. people to actually realize that this is probably not the smartest move. And I mean, like, um, you know what? I There was an interesting doco. I've talked about it many times, but I really recommend people watching it, which is there is two indigenous cops who worked in uh, WA um, and they talk about their experiences being in a remote town mm. and just how little there are actually in terms of indigenous police officers. Yes. And that is a huge neglect on australia as a society that not enough indigenous people are given positions of power and say yes especially in our western culture where we Mm. are we fought and i will say this not lightly we do force our culture onto you know we are in this societal stand where our day-to-day experience whether you mean it or not you are forcing the Western way of thinking onto others. Yes. And these people have learned English because the English gave them no choice. It wasn't going to be the other way around. So I do think that making 
um, you know, it, giving everyone a fair say yes. is more important, especially with like, you know, flipping around to back to film eventually. Mm. I think that's what our, you know, particularly our industry that we work in is particularly like important because then we give people, whether it's through doco or drama or, you know, or fiction, um, anything like that, we give people an opportunity to have a say yes. that isn't necessarily our own voice, but it's someone else's and and therefore everyone kind of, you know, has this bigger opportunity to kind of spread awareness. But then the downside is Australian films aren't well received internationally always no, because of our not accent. not all the time. No. Um, but I do want to swing us round to you, Madison. Yes. I, I, you want to <laughs> ask the obvious question. That I know, but I want you to get to explain to everyone on the internet, on our ears, who you are and what you do so they have some context. Yeah, for sure. So, like, I'm a camera assistant. I've been a camera assistant for probably four four or five years now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I love it. It's It's been quite a journey so far already. So, um, like, I studied uh, photography beforehand, before mm. going into film. And then, um, yeah, decided in my second year of studying photography and went, oh, okay, you know, I'm kind of, I'm noticing that, I'm noticing a shift with Mm. my work that I'm enjoying the moving image a lot more as well. So, you know, that was one of our subjects was like video art as well. Mm. So it's kind of, you know, it's very highly conceptual and that kind of, um, that kind of vibe, but I really enjoyed working with the moving image so I just you know in myself I thought okay well I can see a bit of a shift going on um so yeah I decided to move to Sydney and study at afters so the Australian film and tv radio school and um yeah so I studied like a six-month uh diploma of camera course there as well Mm -hmm. and the main reason I chose that is so that I actually had flexibility to be able to work in the industry as well yeah because you know um like bachelor degrees and everything they're very important and so on but I found you know me being quite a practical person as well and me being you know the destination was like I want I would like to be in camera departments so for me it's like yes I really really want to you know, actually physically hold a camera and actually understand how to use it as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, um, yeah, so I studied that and, you know, just was very, very, very fortunate that I got offered uh, to do an attachment on a Foxtel job. So basically just sort of from there, just, you know, working working up into the industry as a, as a camera assistant. Wow. Yeah. And that's, and that's been four years. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you yeah. feel overwhelmed ever? Oh, I, I don't really, I wouldn't really say like overwhelmed, but definitely like, you know, it's taken, it's taken a lot of hard work and yeah. it's taken a lot of persistence as well. So when yeah. I was at afters, I also volunteered on a lot of the master short films yeah. as well, just to, just to actually get experience with, okay, what's a set like? How does it work? And everything and, um, and actually, you know, touching, um, 
uh, like actually industry-based cameras as well, which is just such an important thing to be able to establish and go, okay, well, like I can actually use these cameras. I can understand them because, you know, they're, they're so different to your, you know, your little DSLR and everything as well. So, you know, trying to make sure that you actually have the understanding behind them. It's like, okay. Right, yeah, I got I got this now. <laughs> I I always remember like back in the day, um, and I make it sound like you know, like a hundred years ago, but it's all like it's all like twenty five years ago. But I do remember everyone walking around with like those giant cameras, which clearly had like your little um your little tapes in them, and you know, yeah. and discs that they had to go through like hundreds of you know them a day because of like you know you'd record onto four by three crappy videos and then format them and digitize them. Um, and I remember actually when my parents gave me like a handy cam for, I was like nine or 10 and it had like little cassette tapes in it. And I remember having to work out how to digitize that and play it in real time to the computer. And that's like my earliest memory of like before digital became like this, just SD card and you put it in and you kind of upload. Yeah. And I do love the old school, where it like it takes a while to do and everything's kind of you, you got to like really understand what a camera does prior to doing anything with it um and i miss that because yeah. nowadays like the cameras that come out are so user friendly yes <laughs> you, very very and i love manual i just love knowing how you know color temps work how like everything works and how you just go okay cool this shot how I'm going to try and match it as close to this other shot that I did earlier so that color grading isn't going to be a nightmare. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like that's always like the funnest thing um, that I I learned. But I mean, like as a camera assist, you're basically building the camera for the DOP and the camera operator. Yes, correct. So it's like a, you know, the ins and outs of how to set it up, like what lenses it uses, what lenses you need. Yes. Um, What's the kind of like, do you ever have a fear of breaking something? Um, you know, he's, uh, sometimes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, but, um, like I was also a rental prep technician uh, yeah. as well. So a couple of years back I used to work at Lee Mac and, oh. um, so I was, you know, often seeing cameras come in mm. and working with different types of cameras as well. So, um, you know, being able to have that exposure yeah. to, you know, understanding the the ins and outs of, you know, certain lenses, certain cameras, um, and actually having time to go through their menus and all of that mm. as well. And then obviously maintenance of the gear itself. So it's really, it's definitely really helped me to understand that side of things as well. Like, because as a camera assistant, like that's part of your job as well is maintaining the gear and making sure that you know if something does break you report it straight away and you know that kind of thing whereas you know like I'm I've got to the point now where I'm like I don't want to break things I want to make sure that you know everything's perfect everything's right yeah and and, you know let's avoid (laughs) breaking things (laughs) I mean like yeah because like lenses and or bits of gear can cost like thousands of dollars and yes it's oh I remember like the first time I ever got lenses cleaned. They're like $300 to clean yeah. a lens um, professionally um, where they take it apart. They take out the glass. They yes. literally dismantle the whole thing, yep. clean it, and then put it all back together. Yes, exactly. And as, 
look, I recommend if you're a photographer or anything, go and get your lenses cleaned because yes. there is a lot of dust. <laughs> a lot. And it, it builds up underneath the elements yeah. as well. So sometimes like, especially coming from a rental house as well. So I was able to actually see like that same process mm. as well of them being actually physically taken apart and then actually seeing the ins and outs of like what yeah. what the lens is like when it's not in its casing. Yeah. So, and it's it's quite fascinating, but it's also like, you know, scary as well. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like this bit of chunk of glass that you're yeah. like, oh, no, this could break. Yeah. It's kind of like a magnifying glass in a way. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. it's very much that principle of you're looking through a magnifying glass, but yes. with a mirror and other elements to kind of bounce light yes. through to... Because the way I always think of lenses is like re- like eyes. You think of them as like an eye. Yes. So a singular, like if anyone wants to do that sort of theory where you cover one eye and that's all you see is like that lens. And then the way the light enters is the sensor and everything and so forth. You basically imagine it like that. But it's a much more complicated eye. Yes. Like you have complete, you, you actually have all the manual control of this eye. Yeah. So you're you know, resetting everything from colors to, you know, but I do find with different cameras, like I was just thinking while you were talking, my favorite camera in terms of LUTs or like log format mm. would be the Sony. I love oh, Sony. Log. Right. It's yep. great. It's easy. It's super like they come out in this very flat mm. format when you record in log yep. and then you have so much to play with to yes. kind of pull yes, out and, and, and get color temps and everything. But then with terms of like actual cameras though that's the only thing i love about sony yes because <laughs> yes. sony are very like i love them i feel like they're the most limited kind of camera to use in unless you're you know you're an indie artist and you particularly want to shoot something on yeah. a sony um but as like most cameras i love um i love black magics they're great yeah. um and i also love like Ari Alexas because yes. they're just stunning and beautiful. And mm-hmm. um and I've also I, I particularly if I would go to lenses, anything anamorphic. I yes. love anamorphic lenses. The flares. The flares. But also what I didn't realise, and I was researching uh this is how much of a nerd I am. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on YouTube watching videos about like cameras and lighting and sound. Um all my day, every day. And one of the <laughs> things that I learned was about anamorphic lenses is the image because of the way the lens is and it tilts in a certain way and it um, shifts whenever you sort of change its position Mm. and focal length it does create a blurred outline so you you know most people don't know that that a lot of your image will be a bit blurred on the outer region and you need to understand Mm. what an anamorphic lens does before you use it because i've seen it used very wrong over the course of a few years yeah. of watching TV or film or anything where people have just been given anamorphic lenses and yeah. they don't actually know the limitations of these lenses as well as the yes. pro- the pros because most normal lenses don't have that issue where they're just like the outer ring, you know, like it just captures whatever is within the range. Yes. But an anamorphic doesn't. It's a very specific and it squishes the image. Yes. So you need to pull yeah. the image. It's It's... Like, do you find that, like, fascinating when you look at camera yes, stuff? Yes, absolutely. Like, you know, that's that's one of the major things that I love about anamorphic as well. And, like, again, with 
with when you're actually using the camera mm-hmm. itself, like, you know, you've got that setting of that anamorphic D squeeze yes. as well, because, you know, you can see, you can see that squeeze happening. Like the moment you put the lens on and you watch the yeah. image, you're like, oh, okay. So I can actually see that. I can physically see it. Yeah. And then you put the apply the um, D squeeze and you're like, okay, now it actually looks a little bit more normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You don't have like this squished image. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's like so bizarre as well. I mean, like it's because if I were to ask you what your favorite camera, mm-hmm. and and like particularly what is your favorite camera, I'd be very biased, unfortunately, with with the um, Alexas. I love the Alexas. I think that the color <laughs> science is just beautiful. Mm. Um, and they're also, you know, just so user friendly, which is just so key as a camera assistant as well. It's yeah. just, you know, I, you know, when I'm formatting cards or so on, you know, I want it to be quite quick and easy to do. So, you know, that's sort of my only, you know, issue that I kind of have with the Sony's as well is that, you know, there's often a menu, but then there's a deep menu as well that you've got to, you know, navigate through. So, you know, as long as you've got the time on set to be mm. able to do that, that's great. <laughs> but, you know, if you're in a real quick hurry, you're like, I can't always keep going yeah. right through to the deep menu all the time. You know, it's generally, you know, for if you're doing something a little bit more technical with the mm. camera. But, yeah, it's, you know, I, I really like the Alexas and their format in yeah. terms of just it's very, it's very simple to use. Yeah. So, and that's what we need on set is, you know, quick and easy. <laughs> yeah, quick and easy, get to the point straight away. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, you look at major productions and and time, you know, that literal saying, time is money. Yes. I get yeah. get back to set. It's, it's not a... I remember in, like, school, I used to think that was a really bad saying, but it actually makes a lot of sense because the faster you get stuff done, the quicker everyone can go home. Exactly. And, like it's, it's that, so true. Mm. It's so true. And there's, I I think, um, do you ever feel like you've been on, on set where you're just like, this day has taken longer than actually necessary and well without of your control? Yeah, definitely. You know, there are, there are days where like, you know, we've, we've got nine and a half to 10 minutes, you know, of scheduled time, like scheduled screen time that we've got to get in the bag. And Mm. it's, you know, that's a very, it's, you know, it's not impossible, but it's very ambitious. Like it's especially, you know, if you're working with kids or something like that as well, you've got to take all of these things into account. Um, And I find that like, unfortunately there's a lot of Australian TV shows and everything that the, the scheduling is getting tighter and tighter and the budgets are getting tighter and tighter as well. So it's starting to, you know, put stress on, you know, all of us as a crew and everything. So our days do typically sometimes get a little bit longer than what they should be yeah as well and it's just because we've just got so much to do in a day and then you know gets to you know near when we should be wrapping they're like okay you know we're gonna ask for an hour's overtime and is everybody okay with that and yeah a lot of the time we're like yeah okay you know (laughs) it's because most of the time we're like well if if we don't do that scene now, it's going to get pushed to another day, and yeah. then they could just ask for overtime on that day as well. Yeah. So yeah, so it's you know there's definitely days where it will come across as being like you know quite a long long day, but yeah. 
you know, I've, I've been very surprised. Like the latest show that I've been on was actually a kid's TV show and we were like the first block we were doing like nine and a half to ten minutes a day mm. and we were actually getting it in the bag with very minimal overtime. Like, wow. you know, it would be getting it with, you know, maybe only 15 minutes extra, like 15 wow. minutes overtime. So it's it was very, very surprising to actually see that and that's really good scheduling. That's, that's what a- it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's down to good producing, good scheduling yes. yeah, and good first ADs, which, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, it's, kudos to many first ADs who know how to schedule yes. stuff to, yeah. a, to a T. Um, I've been, I definitely, like, I think with sets as well, it's one of those environments that, you know, like I always say when you run over or you, you know, like everything is over and I know I have it in my contract because I work, I work full time and I know I have my contract because I do shift work. They do say if anything happens and we need you to stay back at last minute, you know, we have the ability to, you know, well, like obviously we'll pay you, but it's, it's kind of like you can't, you know, we'll ask, but it's not kind of like you can refuse. No, that's and exactly right. Yeah, yes. It's the same principle. Yes, yes, that's true. Like, you know, I've only really had it on, you know, a few circumstances where, you know, it's a Saturday and, you know, it was also working with kids as well. So, again, you know, it, it's first of all not great that, you know, these kids have got to work on a Saturday and, yeah. you know, they, they should have a life too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, you know, that was, that was a day where like, you know, on the Friday, like we'd heard that they were going to ask for overtime on the Saturday and everyone was like, "Mm -mm, no, like we've all got lives, you know, there are, um, there are, you know, gaffers and first ACs and so on that, you know, are older than me have kids and so on and want to go home to them, of course. So, you know, that's, (laughs) that's when we would, you know, arc up and say, Hey, you know, no, we're not going to do overtime on Saturday because, you know, we've got lives too. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, like, and and that's kind of my mentality as well. It's like, you know, you do have a life outside of work. Yes. Um, and whether it's your hobby mm. or your interest, like, you got to also respect other people's time. Yes. Um, I mean, like, it's interesting as well because I think about unions and I always think about, mm. like, how unions, you know, are meant to protect us and I'm, yes. I'm very, like, are meant to. Um, because not all <laughs> unions do, um, but like the, if you do enough research, there is a lot of unions out there. There is a yes. lot of like Oz Crew, um, you know, um, the ME is it MEAA? Yes, MEAA. Uh, it's I always used to say MEAA. <laughs> don't know why, because it's the way it's written, and it just like blows my mind. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think protecting people, they do a good job, mm-hmm. but I mean. As a country, we don't have a strong union unions. Like we don't yeah. have it like Europe does where, you know, um, back in the day, if it was 5 p.m., they'd switch off the lights regardless yes. of how much time, Correct. Yes. like overtime. They don't do that here. Like we don't have that ability to be like, all right, that's it. We're all gone home today. Oh, yes. But we've got like three hours to go. No, nope, no. Nope. Union says we're done. Yeah. Like that's in our contract as part of the union done mm. like we don't have that no, no one no we're very different in how we approach work and i think that's when we kind of feel like we're overworked yes um, yes which happens i guess more from the less you know like if you're at the top tier it kind of happens to all the people down yes it does it's a it's a domino effect that yeah it just kind of keeps passing down the chain 
And then unfortunately, you know, the crew kind of gets a bit stitched up mm. with that kind of thing as well. And, you know, like turnarounds are such a big thing oh, yeah. too. Like, you know, I always, you know, feel awful for the unit department because they're, you know, they're the first ones there and they're always the last ones to leave and mm. they're the most at risk for breaking their turnarounds as well. And unfortunately, like I've seen it happen too often and then that's when fatigue comes into things as well. So, mm. it's, you know, it, it's not only just the, um, you know, like key departments like sound and, um, and so on, but it's just like, you know, unit, uh, yeah. they're essentially the people who, you know, keep us alive on set, you know, with making sure that we've got, you know, obviously amenities, we've got coffee, we've got mm. all of those kind of things. Like they are really the backbone to keeping us all sane. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I do like that you use the word sane. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, and it is kind of appalling that we still kind of work in an, you know, an industry where that is the ability to overwork is yes and i remember i was told this when i was 21 20 like pretty early on actually in my life i had a family friend who was an editor and she just went if you want to have a family don't work in this industry mm. it's basically was 101 and she was in her late 40s early 50s yes. at the time and i thought about that long and hard and i do want to have a family that is like a definite yeah but i do think that there is part of me that goes, God damn, this industry does not benefit, especially, you know, still to this day, women who want to have kids like maternity leave is better. Yeah. But in terms of like long term. Yes. Um, you know, I know a few friends who've like come back for casual work and that's fine. But others who have been completely dropped by the industry for various reasons like does that is that something that you kind of go oh god about this industry and worrying about yeah it? a little bit like certainly like I think it was one of the first jobs that I actually did and we just we just wrapped the job and um the director came up to me and like she was a female director as well and she said oh you know I can see that you're you know very driven and you, you do want to go far in this industry and I said yes that's correct and she said well do you want to have a family as well? And I said, yes, I, you know, ideally I would love to have a family. She said, just be very careful and very aware that as you're going along in the industry, you know, you're, you're going to have times where like you don't often have time mm. to, you know, to prioritize that side of things as mm. well. And, you know, so she went on to like say, you know, the difficulties that she's had just as a, you know, as a director, as well that you know trying to keep track of you know where your kids are at during the day while you're at work and yeah that kind of thing so you know it's it's definitely um a bit a big thing for me to to consider definitely yeah. yes i like it's it's one of those things that i think um you you kind of want that separation especially for your kids um do have like and also not wonder where you you know your parents are 24 7 like going yeah. are they coming home yeah oh they're working overtime again i guess i'm with the babysitter like yeah there is a lot of that where yeah. it's like the industry is a little bit more like okay we do have families we do have small kids we need to go home to those yes. kids like yes absolutely the, we're paying the babysitter by like the hour or yes. my mom's got a concert tonight and she's looking after the kids. So I've got to be home by this hour. Oh, we're calling to overtime. Cool. Yes. I guess 
they're not going to do anything. And it's like, you know, all these things that weigh up. And, I, you know, I think of it, uh, we're not saving lives. There's this running. No, exactly. That is like the most common saying. You know what I also love? And this is when I know it's it's a good production is when they these situations happens where they go, okay, we're not going to do overtime. We're just going to rewrite a scene for later. Mm. And they use material and then rewrite it so it fits into another episode or another scene later down the track at a completely different location. So they're like, cool, all right, that might be useful. That's happened so many times in productions where rewrites yeah, happen right. during mm-hmm. filming. Yes. And because yeah. of logistical errors or just they've run out of time at a scene or the cushion's gone, we can't film there anymore. So yes. you're going to have to film it somewhere else. Yes. And um, that does happen and it saves time. Yeah, it it's, does. It means people don't get overworked yes. sometimes, um, especially if you're on location and particularly if you're booked for a week on this remote location and suddenly everyone goes, oh, we missed a scene. Crap. Um, can't, we don't have time to film it. Can't get an extra day here. Let's go and film it somewhere else. That is completely like it, it's long as it still has the same feeling and the same meaning and it doesn't look jarring in the film yes. or in the show. May as well do it there. Yeah, like, yeah. You'd be surprised with how many sort of cheats you can do here mm. and there, especially like, you know, I, I've had it, you know, probably not so much as, you know, like whole scenes before, but in terms of um, like, you know, being able to, like if it's an insert on a laptop yeah. or something like that, most of the time you can work around that and have a different um a completely different location that you're at but work it around and have the lighting exactly the way you need it mm. um so that you can you can actually do that shot elsewhere as well so yeah. it's you know you're getting the key parts of the scene where you actually have to be and then as soon as it comes to actually picking up the little the little bits and pieces here and there it's it's a lot simpler doing it that way yeah as well so yeah, it just again it saves time. It saves so much time. <laughs> it's it's also like editing is your friend. And yes. and as speaking as someone who's edited quite a bit now, it's it, it does get you out of jail yes. so quickly when you work around an edit. And it's why I love people who think outside the box and people, you know, like DOPs or camera operators or anything like that who think outside the box and they know what they can cheat. Yes. And what we can get around. Because it makes everyone ten times better. Yes. Um, to be like, cool, you know. Because there's nothing worse than someone who just doesn't care. Yeah. And yeah. doesn't want, and is very rigid in their instructions of what yes. they want to do. Yeah. Well, I think it's also so key with um really good first ads as yes. well that often they're always thinking of ways, you know, how to get things done quite efficiently. So if mm. we're if they're, you know, if it's raining or, you know, whatever we can't um, control happens, you know, and it happens a lot, especially with La Nina this mm. year as well. We've had so many, um, so many setbacks with rain and everything as well. So the director will always be, you know, trying to go, okay, well, what can I do next? And the AD is always thinking, mm. going, okay, well, we can actually prioritize this and we can bring this forward and we can yeah. do you know, there's there's such a, you know, I have such an appreciation for the ADs department because that's, you know, there there's often a lot of rescheduling that goes on that we don't see. Yeah. You know, as the crew, like, you know, we know that it happens, but, 
in terms of actually seeing you know how we reschedule and everything it's it's pretty amazing yeah i mean like does that did that blow when you when you first went to set and your first ever set like you know paid experience was that like the experience like what was that a very stressful kind of first day it definitely was because you know coming from film school and Mm. going onto a professional set is just it's such a different world it Mm. is so different there are so many unwritten rules that you know I didn't know you know coming Mm. coming into a professional set so you know a student film is just so much more relaxed and you know, there's not, you know, not a huge, crazy time constraint. Yeah. Like, yes, they're definitely, you know, they'll obviously try to get everything done that they need to get done, but it's not as, it's not as critical. Yeah. So, you know, coming on to, a, you know, a professional set, I'm, I'm like, oh my goodness, like there is so much to think about, so much to do. You're always prioritizing, like, you know, especially once you, um, once you get into camera department, and you're doing like the video split role, which is generally, you know, your starting role yeah. um, in the camera department. Like you're always prioritizing about where the split's going to go and making sure that the director always has picture and, yeah. you know, and then it's all the other behind the scenes stuff as well. You know, keeping the camera department functioning with water and coffee and yeah. you know, all of these, you know, there there's just so many more things that are involved with it. So definitely it was a big you know, not really a shock, but just more like a, whoa, okay, you know, this is a lot more involved. Yeah, yeah. than you initially, like. <laughs> yes, yes. Coming from a student set to, to that, totally different. Yeah, it really is. And and, and expectation, yes. like very yes. different. Um, and I think, like, that, that's really interesting as well. I, and I like that, you know, if for anyone who doesn't know what split is, I think <laughs> of, we use terminology here that, you know, not everyone would understand what that is, but it generally, split is like a monitor or at least vision for the directors. Yes. So they can see. And it's very important. It's very important <laughs> that the director sees what they're filming um, so they can critique it. But I do remember, I think my first ever set experience and it was like, I just, I was such a novice. I remember um, I did, and it was a student set, like it was like, you know, 18 years old I was, and I went to this um, uh, afters thing and they had this, you know, they wanted someone be, you know, doing a volunteer role for behind the scenes. Yes. They hadn't really told the director, which I think was, the producers (laughs) had not really done their job by informing everyone on the set that there would be someone doing behind the scenes or really kind of. I think they thought it was a nice idea. I think it was a very last minute thought and they were like, this would be fun. And I think the school kind of said, this would be a nice idea as well. So it was kind of like tacked on and I rocked up and I remember like they were doing all these rehearsals and I was like, perfect. You know what the opportunity is? I'll grab my camera. I'll go and film the camera coming down the hallway and seeing what it's like from the other side. Yes. And I was told to get out shot. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh no. And it was they were just doing a rehearsal. It was yeah. fine. But the director just didn't want me in shot yes. as any kind of distraction. Yes. And at the time I thought, oh, God, she hates me. But now 10 years later, 10, 20, um, 10, 12 years later, I think about it and I just go, nah. She was just like really hyper-focused in what was going yeah. on. And the last thing you want is someone who's new to a set kind of distracting you and you have to constantly keep an eye on so that they yes. don't get in trouble or yes. danger. And um, 
but yeah, I mean, like the I remember the data wrangler was one of the nicest people, and he took me in and showed me how to data wrangle like yes. old film. Yeah, and I was like, this is so cool. So I did learn a lot about that experience, what to do on a set and what not to do. Yes. Um. Also, not what to do. Don't look like you're not doing anything. Yes, exactly. Very, regardless it's... if you're not, don't look like you're doing nothing. Always yes. stand to attention. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, one one of the camera assistants that I've sort of worked alongside of at one point, she had a saying of like, you know, if you've got time to lean, you've, you've got time to clean. So, yes. you know, for me, that's, you know, as a camera assistant as well, I'm like, okay, well, what can I clean with the camera? Is there any dust on any of yeah. the fans? Is there, you know, so I'm always trying to like think of ways to, to maximize that time. Like mm. if I have any downtime, which, you know, is, depending on what camera is playing, like if there's a steady cam shot and if I'm not the camera assistant for the steady cam, then I'll obviously try and make sure and go, okay, well, you know, I could clear some rushes in the meantime. I could, you know, clean the camera. I can clean the monitors. There's, there's so many different things that I can keep myself occupied with and yeah. obviously cleaning the lenses as well and making sure that there's no dust visible on the top of them or no, you know, fingerprints or marks or, yeah. you know, those kind of things. So there's, you know, I'm often trying to maximize that time as much as possible. So especially if there's also, you know, additional gear that's got to come in yeah. as well. So I'm al always talking and organizing with, you know, runners and production and so on. And, you know, just a lot of things goes, you know, goes on sort of while I'm not slating a camera and while I'm not <laughs> changing lenses and so on. So mm. I'm often, I'm always busy. Um, yeah. You can't yeah. really sit, sit still. No. And it's kind of a, a luxury that you have on student sets or short films or anything low budget because there's more like, but it, it's also my pet peeve. It is it's yes. literally a pet peeve. I don't care if you're on a short film or on a low budget set. Never just sit there in your phone. Yes. It pisses me off to yeah. the nth degree. I, it's one of the first things that I actually teach, like, you know, juniors coming yeah. into the camera department as well as, like, you know, don't be on your phone. Like, it's such an important thing. Mm. Like, you know, we've got – um, we've usually got viewer that we use to, you know, stream the actual – you know, the video as well of what we're actually, what yeah. what the cameras are seeing as well. So I'm like, yes, you can be checking that, making sure it's working. But if you're not doing that, don't be on your phone. Yeah. So, and I also like explain to them as well, like when I'm an A camera assistant, generally like I'm also trying to like, you know, message production in the meantime and organize things mm. for later. So I said, look, you know, I may be on my phone, but I'm actually doing work on yeah. my phone and unfortunately like it's it's the part of the job that I probably don't like as much <laughs> I don't like being on my phone like yeah. because it kind of detracts from me actually being on set yes as well so often you know if I do have a shot off or something like that because you know Steadicam's playing or so on mm. or if it's only a single camera then yes that's sort of my time that I take to to do messaging and to do those things yeah just so that you know I'm not trying to do it in between when I'm actually busy on set. So yeah, yeah, which is uh, you know because I mean, I I just think that you know especially when you've got people you know high profile people coming yeah. in and producers who sometimes are the ones who are the ones paying you. Yes, <laughs> that's right. You know sometimes the producers will hover on on set yeah. and you know again that's when I sort of brief the juniors and go okay we've got yeah. producers on set 
let's just, you know, keep it really professional. Yeah. Let's, you know, be as on top of things as possible. Let's make sure that the split's always got power. It's always got an mm. image. You know, we're not waiting for, you know, for picture or something like that. You know? Yeah. And I mean, like, because one of the, you know, we talk about professionalism in sort of a blanket term, but it it is also just like, you know, it's not, standing to attention but it's just being a hyper aware yes. of everything that's going yeah. around you and being like if someone if you don't need to talk don't talk yes. kind of thing just yeah. just be quiet yeah um and that's that's also another thing that i i teach like the younger ones coming into camera department as well is you know like and and this will generally only come over time but it's also yeah. um it's also watching the set and you know viewing it as a big piece of information yeah. like there's there's a lot going on there's a lot happening and you can learn and understand a lot from what is happening as well so that's why i you know once we're a couple weeks into the actual shoot and i've got them to you know understand the split itself and how yeah. to you know how to operate it and so on then that's when i start going okay be aware of your surroundings and start looking at the blocking, you know, the it's such a important time. Yeah. So the blocking, the line reading, everything that happens and then going, okay, well, you can you can actually see that and you can actually understand where the cameras are going to go yeah. after that as well. So in terms of, you know, rather than coming up to me and being like, oh, where where can I put the split? You know, you can watch the block and you can understand, okay, one camera is going to look that way. One camera is going to look the other way. Safe is over this way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's stuff that starts informing, you know, informing that person's knowledge. Yeah. Which, you know, like, I, I think it's always good practice as well. And, and to just have like that, that astute knowledge as well to what, what things do. Yes, and and how to be the the best on the best yeah. you can be on set. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, like I think even if you're in a volunteer capacity, it's just it's good practice. Um. To, but I mean, I think also just you know, I I think a lot of the time also the biggest stress of being on on, you know, when you're new to the industry and you know people are telling you, and I often find it very interesting because. Um, I've I've taught people, particularly my own age, about you know who have never worked in the industry about industry standard things, and you know just I think you you get to a point where you don't want to sound like a dick. Yes, like, you don't I, want to agreed, keep, agreed. You, you don't want to keep repeating yourself as well, yeah. though. You're kind of like, please learn this because if you haven't, then you're gonna actually start getting people annoyed at you yes. because they will. Everyone has this point, and I remember. A uh, great teacher taught me once he said, um, and he like everyone used to think this guy was an asshole, but he was so good at his job and he was very, and he, and he said to me, don't lie to me. If you don't understand something, just tell me. Yeah, exactly. But don't try and fake it. Otherwise I will not teach you. Exactly. And I was like, learn from the get go. And I'm the same principle. If you lie to me, I will not have time for it. I'm just yeah. like, no, nope, you're on your own then. And, or if you don't try, I don't also have time. Like, yes. Give it a shot. Um, yeah. Cause there's so many ways to work around situations and problems. And I think also because predominantly I work in such a triage heavy job um, that it's, it's quick thinking, fast reacting yes. time that if you don't have that ability and 
you get stressed easily, like you probably shouldn't be in the job. Yeah. Because you can't get stressed and, and you can't take things personally. Yes. Because nine times out of ten, someone's going to yell and because they've had a bad day. Mm. And while that behavior is not acceptable, it's still not a personal attack. No. They just got pressures from somewhere else yes. that they don't know how to deal with and vent with. So yes. it and goes, it just it filters down. Yeah. Yes. And I think that that then comes to the you know the other side of the coin where a lot of new people come in and get, they get hypersensitive about things or they get super mm-hmm. worried or they go or they start going oh everyone's you know like I know the the feeling of when it's downtime at work we do have the ability to be on our phones yes. and it's less stress because we are in an office where we are doing day in day out 24/7 shifts so we do have downtime yeah and but we are also working so it's not exactly, but when we're training people and people see that and they're like, oh, these people are on their phone, so I can be on. It's like, no, yeah. as a trainee, you're not allowed to touch your phone. Yes. That is the last thing you touch. The last thing is you talk to your friends while you're in work hours. You put that phone in your bag. Yeah. That is your job at this point. And then you are attentive to whatever's happening around you. Yeah. Because you are learning. And that is the the people who are experts at this like know how to react quickly to situations and not think, oh, I'm just messaging, you know, my wife. I will get back to this yes. emergency situation. It's like, yeah. no, this comes second, that comes first because that's yes. a, it's the triage brain. Yeah. But I've worked with so many people over the years that you kind of, you get to a point where you're like, I need to kind of beat it out of you. Yes. <laughs> and it's awful, yeah. but it's like when you come from student films and you don't understand that um, being like – on your phone is uh, like a bad thing when you come to the professional industry. It's like, it is, it is just such a bad look when you're not attentive. Yeah. And, and even like, because our, um, our camera sheets these days are more electronic as well. So, um, so again, like I made sure that I went out and bought an iPad because again, I'm like, look, we can do the camera sheets on our phones, but I don't like being on my phone yeah. when I'm on set. So I'd rather not have that look, even though I'm I'm doing the camera sheet, but I'd rather just, you know, actually have the iPad in yeah. front of me as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I think that, you know, like when you're scheduling, when you're looking at, you know, a thousand emails, yes. you know, and ciphering, it is better to have something a bit more robust than your tiny phone going, okay, can I read that right now yes. in a dark room and know actually like this bright light sort of suddenly detracts from everything around yes. you. And you're like, I'd rather have a tablet that I can turn down the brightness, look at what's in front of me, look at it. And then also, you know, like you say, have a split of the camera feed that I yes. can look at to or refer to and then go back and exactly you know, write down notes. Yeah. Um, and I love, like I... I remember the days when everything was paper. Yes. I miss the days when everything was. I mean, it was it was wonderful and I, I did like the paper days, but I can understand how COVID's obviously changed that yes. as well because that was the main reason why we went to electronic is because, you know, us camera assistants would be, you know, touching yeah. the camera sheets and so on and then it would go to post and then they would have to touch the sheets and all of that kind of thing. So it's, you know, it, it I I made like it under – Sorry, it um it makes sense that we've gone to electronic yeah. sheets, yeah. and you know now that I've used them for so many jobs as well, it it makes sense. Yeah, and I really enjoy using the, the electronic sheets because I can just you know upload them like that to production. Yeah, and it's just it's done as soon as we wrap. 
Yeah. So, you know, yes, paper sheets were very similar as well, but then, you know, you you couldn't really pre-anticipate too much with it. So, you know, there was no such thing as autofill and all of those, yeah. all of those kind of things. And then, you know, if you started to like, you know, when I was doing paper sheets, like I would try not to write down any camera settings until we were actually rolling because again, during, during takes or like, you know, during, you know, you might do one take and then something changes on the camera, whether it's the exposure, like the DOP adjusts the exposure or, you know, mm. they go up in ASA and that kind of thing. So those things would change. And then on paper sheets, you have to like cross that out. And yeah. It starts to make the sheets look really messy. Whereas, you know, now on electronic sheets, you, you've just got the ability to just backspace it. Yeah. So, yeah, so you can sort of pre-auto fill things, but then you've got quick ability to be able to just change it. And yeah. it's not messy or you know, it doesn't make you look bad in front of post. <laughs> I know. And I, I, a good camera sheet and the last is a lifesaver, especially when you're yes. dealing with multi-camera setup. Yes. It's really nice to know what each camera is doing. Yes. Um, and it keeps everything consistent. Yes. And I, I'm also like, I try to describe the shot as best as possible as yeah. well. It's just so that if, if by any reason there is an error, Somewhere along the lines, the editor has got that ability to be able to go into the sheet. They know exactly what camera settings it was. They know exactly what shot it was as yeah. well. You know, whether it was handheld yeah. or, you know, all of mm. those kind of things. I try to describe it as best <laughs> as possible so that posts have that opportunity yeah. to to know exactly what the shot is. There's no, you know, nothing's misconstrued along along the way. No, and it's the worst feeling in the world looking through an edit and not knowing what you're looking at and knowing yeah. which shot's what and which scene it's for and going through the entirety of the thing and scratching your head and going, what, what, what am I doing with all this footage? Like, what's the mission other than the script that I've got? Yes, yeah. <laughs> like... Because that's the thing, I I feel like people don't understand the importance of informing the editor of all the information as well. Yes. Because they generally don't see the the production. Yeah. They have never been on set. Yeah. So they're looking at everything from a, a, a separate point of view. Yeah, from a screen. Yeah. yeah. And then they're going, oh, is this shot meant to be here? Is this shot meant to be here? Like, And then the camera notes are literally just, and the con continuity notes and everything will go to the post and then the editor can flick through all these notes and go, cool, okay, that's for that, that's for that, cool, yes. I can I can start. And they often, I think also people don't understand is an editor has a, generally has an assistant unless it's on a low budget, in which case they are their own assistant. Yes. Um, and the assistant generally goes and labels everything from the original card label as well as the camera um, uh, assistants sometimes and the data wranglers do. Yes. Um, generally, I think it's like second AC can data wrangle as well. Yes. Um, and they'll label everything so that by the time mm. it goes to the editor, a lot of that is saved and they know what the the data is, what it's telling them, um, you know, what file formats it, it is all in. Um, and a lot of the time, um, like I found this out re recently because I predominantly edit Premiere Pro. Yes. Great software. Um, it's become more of an industry standard now yes. than it used to be. It used to be considered a very independent indie film yep. but yep. i think because of the sell sellability of it now and its upgradability it's so useful and user-friendly yes um that's a lifesaver but i found out my, my laptop now that it's 2015 
has maxed out at 2019's version of Premiere Pro and cannot see see some codecs that I'm very sad about. So (laughs) won't won't register Apple ProRes like certain files and it makes me hurt inside. (laughs) So I have to upgrade my laptop, unfortunately, to kind of get a lot of the new files. But that's how quickly, you know, that's only a space of what, seven years? Yeah. And codecs and, and file formats are changing so rapidly. Yeah. Um, that and and the scope of things that I think you know, like Apple ProRes files, I actually like a lot. They're very useful and user friendly. But also, I love the ability that Premiere has, where you can flick through, you know, like the camera LUT settings and what like actually it's doing. So it has a little mini tab inside it, and if you go to the actual footage, you can flick through what setting it is. So then you can grade it because generally, what people if you're don't see it you'll just see it in it's sort of like i remember once i used to think oh this shot's really overexposed no you're just looking through a non-lot setting yes and generally the camera will just do what it normally thinks and then go this is too bright this is too dark cool that's what i'm going to show you as and then the light you has such a high dynamic range that you yeah. can pull all that information out and yeah. do whatever you want with it and fix it and it's funny because when you don't understand those principles, you think, God, the footage is ruined. Yes. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and it's the biggest stress. And I think I remember when I was very young looking at footage and going, crap, everything sucks and it all looks terrible. Now as an adult and understanding how cameras work, your high dynamic range and, and the same principle now happens and applies to audio. Like yes. audio has you know a massive range now than it used to where you'd only be able to record things in 16-bit um, very shallow and then pe- peak distortion in the yeah. analog days would happen very easily. Um, and now we've got the wonderful world of digital distortion, which is yeah. a whole other kettle of fish. And um, But then the same thing of having, if you didn't have your camera settings to the correct settings, you, it would be very noticeable. Yes. Whereas nowadays, like high dynamic range does have the ability to, you know, fix a lot of your, you know, learning abilities yes. does teach you very quickly. You can fix white balance very easily in post um, a lot more than you used to be able to yes, where it was like absolutely. stuck to a certain way. Yes. But I have still been on some student sets where they don't understand what log is or yeah. they think that fixing your camera to uh, the camera settings is better than going to the log settings. I'm like, no, nah, Always go to raw yeah. log format because it, it's... A... It, it gives you all of that information. Yeah. It gives you all of it and then you've got the option to actually play with it yeah. as well. So Because I remember when I first got my camera, I didn't realize it wasn't just set to JPEG. Yes. So I got all these JPEG images back and I was like, oh, I can't do anything with these. Like, yeah. like I've got bugger all I can do. Yes. And then suddenly you discover in the sub menu, and it was a Canon camera, so I was mm-hmm. like still learning it to... F- um, uh, Mark IV 5D, great camera. I still use it to this day, but I did have to go, like, when I first started using it into the back end and go, oh, there's a setting to get raw as well. Yes. And yep. it has a few settings, and uh, you can get raw exclusively, and I choose to get raw and JPEG, so I have a lower yep. format. Yep, both. And I can send generally send that to people so they can look at the files while I'm editing them yes. and go, okay, well, I've got the Canon RAW file, so I can just play around with these. But at least the people have got the unedited versions and they can just scan through whatever they like. Um, but yeah, like a lot of people just don't look at your subsettings, like we say, where it's yeah. like you've got all these like 
um you know but i mean also when you're in a you know like what's a, what's a horror experience that you had on a short film when you were doing that you were just like this is not how you deal with a camera like settings or you just like had this overwhelming like all anxiety about it um <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't probably be too much about the actual camera settings per se yeah but it was it was again back towards the scheduling side of things yeah that yes it was um i i had a horror story from one that was in um newcastle oh god we did so we'd all traveled up to newcastle and yeah there was a you know a young director on that and Mm. um yeah we just had to while we were actually filming the the short film itself, it was just it was taking way too long. Um, there was uh, a lot of shots that kind of came spontaneity, like mm. on spontaneity, and it wasn't like it wasn't planned stuff. So, and it was a night shoot as well. So you know we've only just started in you know late afternoon, and we're going to be working into the long hours of the night, and it. Um, just the real lack of planning of shot listing and everything like you just you underestimate how important that is and yeah so it it basically it blew over into you know we only finished at four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning and you know we were all exhausted yeah everyone's tired the camera department which you know like I was in as well so we had like a, a DOP and then one of my good friends that was a camera assistant as well and we were all just like, we we basically spent the next day like you know went back to bed you know crashed out for ages and then spent the next day like reshot listing like this wow. this entire short film because it was just taking so long to try and get the coverage and to get everything that we actually needed as opposed to just things that were you know on the spontaneous moment mm-hmm. like oh we could get this shot we could get that and you know, it starts to throw things right out the window, especially when you're doing a night shoot and everybody's mm. tired and we were sort of in a remote-ish location as well. So in terms of actually getting food for everybody, that was about like 25 minutes away. So, you know, we'd have to wait, you know, quite a decent time to actually get some form of yeah. sustenance for the crew. So, you know, it was just a very interesting experience that, you know, you underestimate how important that kind of thing is. And, yeah. And yeah, like, you know, like at least we had someone who was quite professional behind the camera as well. So he also had a lot of good ideas with how we could speed yeah. things up. And then as a camera team, we sort of worked together to reshot list oh this entire film. And it was just, yeah, it was very interesting. <laughs> oh my God. I do not envy you. <laughs> no. That, no. that, um, that, that reminds me of like many horror stories when I was younger of trying to do shorts and just like learning as you go. And I don't think anyone teaches you that when you're making stuff young as well. Like when you're doing like short films or you're doing like stuff like that. Um, and I've worked with some great DOPs and some not great DOPs. It really yeah. depends. It's fluctuates. But, um, I do remember, um, being on one set and I'm still good friends with all the actors and crew um, and like minus the DOP, which was <laughs> the only person who I was like, yeah. Um, but I remember particularly, um, yeah, a lot of the shots 
were decided by them on the day mm. and they didn't agree initially with what the shots I wanted. Yeah. And I think that was where a lot of the production was happened and a lot of it just ended up we originally were going to do both days of the weekend and then it was only one day and then we were like, okay, well, let's reschedule and then all the actors were like, well, we can't because we've got like other things going yeah. on and it's like, well, that's a nightmare. And it, it became, I remember I got to the end of the day and I was like, I've shot nothing that I actually wanted to shot. What I've shot what we've ended up shotting was like five different things that were yeah. unrelated and terrible. And I remember we went we went even into overtime. Like we were going and I remember I had to call like quit for the day because I was like, I'm tired. Yeah. All the actors are tired. No one cares anymore. And what has actually happened is um, you've just not listened, unfortunately, to anything that anyone actually wanted and have gone on a whim hoping that it might fall together. Yes. And I was like not happy with the results. So I definitely think that, you know, and I've definitely watched a lot of short films as well, where it's like, you know, sometimes it is logistically down to, you know, the camera um, side of the department or the sound side of the department or anything that, or there's just like producer or director or whatever. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's one of those things that when it all comes together, it all works really well. Yeah. And I've worked with some amazing, uh, you know, DOPs who have thought very much outside their box and, and like collaborating. But then I've worked with others who would like very much not enjoy any of that process. No, not at and all. And I'm like, oh, okay, tell me what you want out of it. Because you've got to meet in the middle when you're a director or a, D, you know, or a camera operator or something and you've got to find this mid-ground, whether it's a big production or an independent film, um, you've got to find like something. But I do agree with you with short films in particular um, and it's not all the case. It's not, you know, you know, whether it depends on the film, but I think some of them um, are less, I, I want to say less well thought out yes. than others. And the ones that are like phenomenally thought out, you know, and it can't be, it's not always down to the script. Sometimes the script is great. And yeah. what you see on screen is terrible. Yes. Sometimes. <laughs> like, and that's, through just translation of, um, but it, I mean, it's kind of like that blanket slate of you can't blame just every, you know, you can't be like it's the entire crew's fault because it, it it's just so many components to yes, what actually. There's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, like, um, yeah, just the horror stories that I think about, like, and I, and it's always every day is a learning day. That's what I say. Yes. Every day you're learning something new. Like, absolutely. Um, I remember, like, you know, 2018 me. It's not the same as now. <laughs> like no, even, no, and that's four years absolutely different. Absolutely not. Um, and you know what works and what doesn't and kind of go, okay, well, what can I challenge myself on um, to make this product worthwhile? But I've definitely also, I think, and, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I definitely think there are some people, like we're both very driven people, but I think in some people in this industry think that drive and and being, you know, you know efficient and good at your job um, or enjoying it is very different to what, you know, like is to have being the big glory, you know, big leaks and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, obviously everyone wants a big break and stuff, but I think that's the underside of what actually being driven is yes. because being driven and engaged in your work means you're enjoying in the ability yes. and you wanting to continually learn. Or as I think if you're trying to get to a, a point where you're top tier big leagues, that's not really yeah a direction. Well, it's, 
it's a lot about challenging yourself and it's a lot about the actual journey itself. Like it's very, you know, like I'm just incredibly thankful for for those around me as well for giving me the opportunities that they have too. Mm. So, you know, that one, that's certainly something that I don't try to lose track of all the time. Like I'm always trying to um, up the ante with what I'm doing Mm. as well, like physically on set, making sure that I'm really, really on top of things. Um, and obviously keeping an eye on my team as well, making sure that they're okay too, Mm. because it's just, it's so important to look out for your team. Like, you Mm. know, if, if someone's tired or just, you know, if, if they've got, you know, personal things going on or something, you know, just always looking out for them and going, okay, like, are you actually okay? And Mm. so on. And, um, and yeah, like obviously just what I was saying about like challenging yourself as well. Like, you know, you don't want to. You don't want to stay in a particular, you know, zone in terms of, you know, like your career for yeah, for yeah. too long because, you know, otherwise then it will just sort of, it will become a bit too repeat. Um, yeah. Yeah. So for me, I try to always like challenge myself and be like, okay, well, for this next job, what can I do better? What can I try to improve on? And, you know, I talk to colleagues as well and just say, look, you know, how can we make this more efficient and yeah. and so on? Like, especially because it's just so important these days with the time constraints that we've got and all of that kind of thing to just be very efficient. So mm. I'm always trying to work on, you know, how we can be, you know, as, you know, efficient as possible as a camera team. Yeah. Yeah. Because is, is your main career goal, like, because I imagine this is asked quite a fair bit of what <laughs> a career goal for a camera assist is, but is your main career goal then to become a DOP? Or? I, I definitely would like to, definitely would love to operate um, at some point as well. Um, and then, you know, eventually DOP, but it's, it's, it's not something that I'm in a rush to yeah. get towards. Like I'm quite content with being a camera assistant for, you know, for quite some time and, you know, quite happy to, you know, work alongside of, you know, like I've been very fortunate to have worked alongside of so many amazing DOPs. So just, mm. you know, now that I'm getting more and more used to camera assisting, I'm starting to find a little bit more time on set to just, observe what the DOP is actually doing and the Mm. choices that they're making with how they light things as well. So I'm trying to always be a little bit more aware of that side of thing and then trying to also um, ask questions every now and then, not necessarily on set, but I might try and think of a question, type it out in an email and then just send, send it a bit later because, you know, on set everything's, you know, the DOP is always just, you know, on all the time thinking about, you know, the next setup, the next lighting, you know, the next way that they're going to light and, and so on. So there's so much that they're thinking about in the time. So, you know, again, it's, yeah. you know, I want to learn things as well, but, you know, not right in that moment where they're, you know, they're busy. Yeah, <laughs> no, and that's, that's entirely, entirely fair. I mean, and and also like this industry is becoming very much like there's a huge female camera team yes. now. Yeah. It's massively even compared to probably when we were at uni. Yeah, which is like, yeah it's, you know, it's so true. Um, yeah. Does that inspire you as well to be sort of like, you know, as a woman going into this industry? Yeah, absolutely. It, it certainly does inspire me. And it also, um, you know, especially now that I'm up to like being an A-camera assistant, like I've got a little bit more opportunity to, 
um, to recruit yeah. people, you know, recruit different people as well in terms of, you know, when we get an attachment on board, um, you know, often it's not often my choice, but I can obviously be like, hey, you know, I've heard of this person through afters or yeah. that kind of thing. There's, you know, so many different ways that we can, you know, bring in, you know, not just females, but also non-binaries and yeah. you know, everybody into it as well and give give people opportunities yeah. so because you know it was you know traditionally back in the day it was a very very you know boys club kind of industry so i'm i'm really happy to see that there is this transition happening and it's also um like with the acs um the recent acs study that they did as well the um uh lens i think it was lens wide open Thing, something like that, a, mm. a wider lens. I think that's ah, what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the study had a lot of um, surprising statistics, but also sometimes not surprising <laughs> as well, because you know, in terms of there not being any Indigenous DOPs, like not many Indigenous women DOPs mm. out there as well. Like you know, so you know, when I looked at the stats actually presented in front of me, I'm like, okay, well, like, you know, this is shocking, but it's also not surprising because I literally, I haven't seen an Indigenous female DOP on set. Yeah. So, you know, there there are things that certainly did rock me and were sort of like, whoa, this is really horrible to see that, you know, especially with major feature films as well, you know, there's not many female yeah. DOPs out there. You know, there's Mandy Walker. Um, and she's done such an amazing job as mm. well. Um, but it's just in terms of female DOPs getting that offer to work on huge major feature films, it's very rare. Yeah. And, it's, and it's sad. It, so, is, it is as well. And I like, you know, I think that we are going into a very forward era more so now when, you know, like, um, you know, going forward. And I think it's also like a strong belief of mine where it's like given, give, you know, people, um, you know, of, um, n you know, non-binary gender fluid, like, you know, and, and women an opportunity to work in tech roles. Yes. Yeah. That are much more, you know, like, and branch out that opportunity for these people to have opportunities that might not have happened in a white cis male yes. kind of environment, which was very much the industry like 15 years ago or yes. 10 years ago. Because it's like, I definitely think that we we walk this fine line, especially. And, you know, like I, I've worked under management that have, you know, said, oh, women get pregnant. It's a, a big burden when they take maternity or leave and all that stuff. And it's just, or, mm. you know, like they specifically avoid people of, you know, the LGBTQIA plus community and, you know, be like, nah, I don't want to deal with something that's uncomfortable to me. And it's like, but that's progression. Like, Yeah, it's that's, just, that's right. It's, that's all part of it. Yeah, it's, you've got to allow these people opportunities and allow, you know, and it's the same with like, you know, hiring just white people. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just constantly um, a big, a big thing. But I, I, I've always like, and I've always thought about this, every a majority of the sets I've worked in, on um you know whether it's uh, my own set or quite a few others um have either been very lgbt um friendly or um also just very women centric like th yes. there's a lot of women on set which is honestly the nicest thing because i think it's such a, a for me it's such a high school thing where I like i like you know i like having women on set and i like having people on set 
who are just very forward thinking. Yes. Um, and I just find it very easy to work with women as well. But I think on other sets, um, it's yeah. You know, when I just see a very st- straight white man, I'm like, yeah. I don't know what to do with half of you, like because you're all like weird and uncomfortable with anything different and that's not to say that all straight men are like that but there is a lot Mm. i've worked with a lot of like very uh straight men who just don't know what to do with like power thrown elsewhere yes um yeah well i definitely you know when i first um became a member of the acs and went to one of the um the meetings as well like it was like um and it was brought up in the wider lens report as well that one of the cinematographers that they interviewed, like a, a female one, she said, look, it was very intimidating because, you know, a lot of the room was middle-aged white men. Yeah. So, and I, I experienced exactly the same thing as well. I went into the room and went, whoa, okay, there's there's really not many women here, like mm. not in a DOP perspective, not in a camera perspective, like at all. So, you know, certainly over the last few years, it's definitely – changed a lot and I've seen like Mm. a lot of progression which is just awesome and and that's why when when I go on to set and I've got you know either um you know LGBTQ um or a um like a female camera assistant as well like a like you know a young junior in our team like I'm always trying to bring them up Mm. as best as I can and try and like spend the time with them and actually go okay you know this is how we do things in the camera department and so on because it's all it's all part of this progression. Yeah. And I think like some people get like a bit um, lost in the aspect of like, oh, but they're, you know, competitors because, you know, they're coming up in the camera department and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So there's I, – I kind of try to ignore that attitude and go, but this is part of the progression. You know, yes. we need to actually give people opportunities to be able to come up in the camera department. Yeah. as well so and that's you know that's why when I was um because I volunteered on the behind the scenes of this wider lens um report that the ACS did so mm. um you know it's when I was chatting to some of the cinematographers that were that were part of it um I said look you know that's just everything's you know in terms of bringing up attachments through through yeah. uh through films or tv shows or something like it's all part of that progression of you know, allowing more opportunity to more people. Yeah. I mean, it's also like there's a lot of trial and tribulation as well in, you know, particularly that kind of side of the industry as well when you're, you know, a, a person, um, you know, in the um, queer community as well as like a woman, you know, going into this tech field because there's a lot of like there's still controversy over it. Yes. Um, which is bizarre to me. Like we live in 2022 and it's like it should just be done. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, you know, going going forward as well, it's like, you know, and I do know that like some of my friends, you know, specifically who work in tech fields try to avoid, you know, like having personal relations with anyone inside, particularly men in the yeah. industry and also um, – Particularly, like, it's very common um, just for people to date in the industry and, mm-hmm. and avoid it. Um, so I think that's something that I always try and, like, just sort of tell people. It's like it's good to have a life outside. Yes, um, absolutely. Or date someone who isn't always in your <laughs> role. Like, it yes. works for some, but, like, my partner is in the industry, but we work in very different roles. Yeah. And 
that makes life easier because then we don't sort of think about it and we have other interests that yeah, kind exactly. of fuel it. But um, I think that, yeah, some people have met and it, and if it works for you, it works for you. But sometimes, you know, it can create weird scenarios on set because it's like, and I often used to think this set is like sometimes being on a set with close proximity to everyone can become a very incestuous, yeah, dangerous time. And, you know, yeah, particularly it's mostly with the actors because yeah. that tends to be what actors like end yeah. up doing. Um, but it's not always the case, but yeah, like there's a lot of, um, I think with crew and stuff, you know, you just kind of um, like most of them are married or, you know, have families, but then a lot of the younger people sort of see it as opportunities to meet people and mingle and then, you know, and then experience like maybe dating and stuff like that. And yeah. I think that's always like, an industry site that I remember like people talked about when I started in the industry, but I think is fading. Like, yes. And yeah. people have more of a, like a modern and common lens to go, okay, cool. I'm going to sort of keep my distance. Yes. Because like we do talk about it before, like, you know, how we spend a lot of time with each other on overtime yeah. and that's what, where you fall into that pattern of going, well, I see this person every day. So why not? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I, like, so I definitely agree with it and it definitely works for some people here and there, but I definitely enjoy having, you know, like seeing other people that are, that are not in the industry yeah. and going, okay, well, like this kind of gives me a break from it, you know, cause like, especially when you're working with people a lot on set, it kind of, yeah. it becomes a very family nature as yeah. well. Like, you know, especially, you know, not really the big feature jobs because there are just so many people on those jobs that, you know, sometimes you might email, but you'll never see them in real life. hundred percent. Yeah. Whereas TV shows and so on, like, you know, it becomes a very sort of family kind of, you know, um, a, a very family orientated kind of thing because, you know, yes, you're, yes, you're, you know, seeing them every single day, um, you know, they're your colleagues as well, but you, you know, you might not agree on particular things here and there. So again, it, you know, it creates that family kind of aspect. Yeah. That, you know, you, you want to work as a team, um, but you also, you also have your differing opinions and, and that kind of thing as well. So it's, you know, it's, it's such a, I think it's such a wonderful thing sometimes like on set as well, yeah. when, you know, you can have such a close knit team, and you can really enjoy each other's company, but just, you know, as really good colleagues as yeah. well. Yeah. And like, do you find, do you find that, that like, you know, with, with like, because I remember when I was in the dating like field that explaining to people when you did, you dated people outside of the industry was a very difficult conversation. It, it definitely <laughs> is. Like it, it still is. And I think like, unfortunately COVID kind of brought up like a very, you know, because of the singles bubble that they brought in and, and everything yeah. as well. I think, unfortunately, the modern dating game is quite toxic nowadays that, mm. you know, there's a lot of this hookup culture going on and it's just, it's it's quite sad. So me trying to express to like another guy and just say, look, you know, this is my industry. This is sort of how yeah. we work. You know, the hours aren't always the best and, you know, sometimes I'm tired on weekends. There's... You know, so it, sometimes I think it intimidates them a little yeah. bit because it's like they're like, oh, you know, you don't you don't always have time. And I'm like, yes, I don't always have time, but it doesn't mean that I want to like, you know, just, you know, do work and that's it, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. You know, it's such a it's such a 
you know, a balance. That's why I cherish my weekends and, and so on, because, you know, they're, it's just such an important, um, an important aspect to have such a balance when you are working on set, especially long forms as yeah. well. Because it can, it can get quite tiring and it can, you know, you can be doing, you know, consecutive night shoots as well. So it can really mess with your body clock, let alone everything else that's yeah. going on in your life. So, you know, that that's certainly one thing that I've had, you know, sort of, you know, a, a lot of you know, issues trying to be like, okay, you know, this is, this is how the industry rolls. And unfortunately it's not a nine to five job, you know, as much as, as much as I loved having a nine to five job, you know, a few years ago when I used to uh, work at Lemac, like, yes, it was, you know, kind of in the industry, but it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do exactly. So, um, yeah. So moving forward, it was just a very, it's still a tough conversation trying to be like, look, you know, this is unfortunately just the way the industry is and I can't always control the hours, but I'll obviously do my best to sort of yeah. work around it. And, um, yeah, so that, that's definitely been a tricky side. You oh know? yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I think my relationship before I started the industry ended because of the industry. I was yeah. like very, like, it's a make or break relationships yeah, as well and um you know I was constantly tired I was constantly fatigued and I so and I remember like when I was particularly when I was like doing you know my single years and I was going on you know the dating apps and trying to meet people I remember I met a lot of people who did not get it yes. and they were like oh so why do you want your alone time it's because I'm tired yeah and I really just don't want to see people yeah. like and that's an entirely valid yeah reason but there is a side of you know when people don't work in the street they think you're ignoring them yeah and a lot of their own self-anxieties can come out and it's not like that at all like it's you know and yeah. when you sort of like and my parents to this day mm. still do not get it like my mum you know has no idea why like how I do my hours and she still goes and you know it's like oh you you know are you okay and it's like I'm tired I'm like oh she oh you're always tired it's like well yes because I do weird shifts like yeah yeah um, and I I think I've also like sort of you know lost um prospective relationships as well because they've just been intimidated by the hours like especially since you know like I'm now getting to the age where like, you know, people are starting to settle down and that kind of thing as well. So, you know, I think some guys kind of view it and be like, oh, you know, so are you actually going to be home to look after the kids and all of that kind of thing? And they kind of, I think they overthink it a little bit too much because it's like, well, you know, when it, when it actually comes to family time, then, you know, tools down, you know, make make some time for it, you know, that kind of thing. Cause you know, like there's, amazing cinematographers like Reed Morano that, you know, she was like, what, seven or eight months pregnant. She was still filming on set. Like, yeah. you know, she's just, she's doing it. She's just in there. She's in the moment. And then as soon as, you know, it actually came time to have the family as well, like she made time for that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'd be very much the same as well that I'd actually be like, okay, well, you know, I want to actually make time for that as well because it's, it's an important aspect to me. Yeah. So, I'm, yeah. I absolutely agree. And when, like, one of my coworkers has just gone on to paternity leave and um, tell his wife out and, like, he's just so excited because he's like, oh, I get to spend time with my son and, you know, actually be a dad. And I remember, like, you know, that most of the people I work with who are great, 
great people and yeah when they go you know and the ones who don't have families absolutely love you know they've they've had their entire career not having kids and they're like yeah i'm great like i don't want kids and that's perfectly fine but yeah as someone you know like i'm like doing all the projects that i want to do while i'm young and i don't have kids exactly and the moment i have kids the priority changes and i i just suddenly go okay well my entire focus is on my family yeah and everything unfortunately goes into the second category which is you know fine but yeah. it, it does it does make you reprioritize your entire life um and i think that you know it doesn't work for everyone but i i think particularly for me like i am such a family oriented person i'm always very close with my yes, family same. um and I think that's what I've always tried to bring to like any project that I've ever done is family because I love reworking with people, um, whether it's in a professional or non-professional capacity. I love spending time with certain people and yeah. um, getting to know them. And I think that's what's made, particularly with, you know, whether my kids end up having an interest in this industry, yeah, go them if they do. But I, I think whatever they choose and whatever direction um, they have, I'm just going to be like, being beaming regardless because i i do think that as parents uh, particularly from my parents generation like you know my dad was a photographer and had been for many years and i think he was the one who kind of knew my interests more than my mom did yeah and my mom was just like that's nice like you do create <laughs> she's an academic yeah and she was like you do creative things and my dad was like this is exciting i'm get to see my son do all these things yes. and, and have a life and have like these creative outlets and um I was really influenced by that. And I think, you know, like I remember going on long road trips with my dad. Like, you know, we'd be away for like a month or six weeks or something like that. So, you know, he did a lot of traveling. And I yes. remember like as a kid, I didn't think any different. And yeah. when people talk about nine to five jobs or like gender roles or anything like that, and I'm like, I had a stay-at-home dad and I had a mum who went to work. Yes. That was my life. Yeah. That was my brother and my life. So to have anything different... And, and and it's why when people go, that's a man's job or this is like a, a, a woman's job, I'm like, no, nah, it's anyone's job. Like yes. literally whoever's got a spare hand should go and do that. Exactly. If they've got the time. Like, yeah. And, and I think that, um, you know, it, it, for me, I think this the, the downside of this industry is that perspective where it's like, you know, oh, it's the woman's job to care for the child. And it's like, well, no, it's, it's like, sorry. It's, it is both. <laughs> it's both. And it's like whoever's home is going to take care of that child yeah. and, and make sure they're fed. Because legally, by also requirements and by the law of Australia, that is mass, that is murder if you don't look after your yeah, child and it dies. Absolutely. Um, it's child neglect. And I think, um, you know, it's just, you do so much for kids. And I think, that, you know, to give them a fair ch chance and... Um, yeah, I, I I sort of think that, you know, that's the, the the great side about the industry. But I also think as, you know, people who, you know, us as our age and as young as we are, when we are in 20 years' time, when we do have families. Yes. Um, you know, and I think that is much of the perspective is hopefully we can give them opportunities that we didn't have, um, you know, and like we do for new people coming into the industry and giving them more and more so that, you know, the next generation have a better experience yes. than necessarily we even did, which, you know, might have been hit and miss because, you know, we talk about the Australian government not funding the arts and stuff. But, you know, like hopefully in, in you know, I would like to think in, you know, 15 years' time that the Australian has quite a booming industry yeah. of international capability where we are our own house and we yes. aren't just a reliant source of American and, and English 
production and Chinese markets, like we are our own big production house because yes. most of the time you just see the production logos and that's about the extent of the excitement. That that's, yeah, that's about ruined. it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, and that's what I love so much about, like there are so many amazing Australian TV shows out there, like Mystery Road yes. is one of them and I absolutely love it, not only because like it, it showcases our Australian land but it also showcases how amazing our Indigenous actors are yes. here as well. Like Aaron Pedersen, what an amazing actor. Like, I know. So, you know, I just fell in love with that show because it was it was not only, you know, how how well they had developed his character mm. um, throughout the few seasons, but also just the way that they were showcasing the land as well because the land is obviously incredibly important to yeah. our, our Indigenous ancestors. Mm. So, um, you know, just the beautiful drone shots of the land and everything, oh, you know, it was – I just fell in love with that show and I, I had to binge watch it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's on Stan, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Stan has some good shows. Yes, it does. Oh, and and same with like um Wolf Like Me as well. I did a couple oh. of I did a couple of weeks on that as well. And like technically I think that one does have some international funding towards yeah. it as well, but it was technically it was set in Adelaide, so here filmed in, in part in Sydney. Yeah, but it was filmed pretty much here in Sydney. So I, they, I think they did an amazing job at you know making it look like it's you know little little Adelaide there. But you know, I think my favourite scene is when Josh Gad is at tram sheds, literally down the road, and I was yes. watching this, and my partner Emily and I were just like, "Holy crap, that's like literally down the yes. road." Yes, and and like the same with Jubilee Park. If they were sitting there and like Isla Fisher, but the thing that always baffled me about that show is Isla Fisher is Australian. Yes, yet she's an American character. I'm yes. like, just make her an Australian. Yes, <laughs> it made no yeah. sense because Josh. But I also love that show because Josh Gad is a huge fan of Australia as yes. well. He is a massive fan of Australia. Yeah, and I think. What really makes and they're, they're doing a second season now. Yes, um, they I are. can't wait to see it because I'm a huge fan of that show. Um, but I do think that also it's it's Australian drama that works. Yes, and, it, and it's like you know with with Wolf Like Me, um, and you know, and I think also like you know you had shows that probably didn't land as well. But I do remember a great show which was called The Glitch. Yep. Um, which did three seasons. It was a fun show. It was um, set in a rural town. And all these dead people came back to life. Yes. It was very weird, but yeah. um, it was very unique. Um, and then I also remember years ago when I was a kid, there was a BBC, a CBBC show called Jeopardy. Oh, and, yes, I do remember, yes. And it was set in Australia for two seasons. Yep. And it was about kids discovering UFOs yep. and alien invasion. And it was really fun. I had... That was one of my favorite shows as a kid so as well. Good. I just, I loved it. Yeah. And I think back to those shows and it's like, those are the content that I love watching where you show the rural side of Australia, but you also show the city side and you, yes. and you have this great balance because I think the shows that I love are crime and our sci-fi and our drama based shows, because when it comes to, you know, the, you know, as well as I think like Home and Away and Neighbours were great training grounds and mm. still is like with Home and Away. Um, they are the shows that are very rinse and repeat. Yes. They have a quick turnaround in terms of actually what they do. And while like Neighbours has just wrapped up and, and finished forever, it's it's one of those shows that I think in 10 years' time might get revitalised because yeah. it's such a training ground for people. Yes. Um, or something will come out of its place, like some other soap drama that will last another 50, 60 years because 
you know, like you've got, it is great training grounds for young people. Yes. It's, you know, whether you're an actor, whether you're a camera operator, whether you're, you know, like, you know, any tech assistant or a mm. runner, go and do those shows because like, like with any show, like with the stand shows and stuff, they're great training grounds. Yes. You learn fast, you learn hard because they've got either, some, you know, big actors, Australian actors or big names attached to them yes. in terms of starring roles. Uh, but you also just learn very fast about what, to do and how fast a show won't be made and the the process of it because logistically they're you know they're either you know but also you'll see the signs which you know aren't advertised which is when things go wrong yeah and on these kind of shows and that is the funnest thing because we talk about like you know uh, nothing you know scheduling issues and you know it's it, big productions have that all the time yeah, absolutely. they have so many days where it goes over under um but yeah like going I said to anyone new, just go and watch a bunch of things and and then watch the behind the scenes. Go and watch behind the scenes docos because they are the things of where you see all the things go wrong and you see yes. what doesn't work and, you know, and like, yeah, it's just. And, and you see the problem solving that goes yeah. into things as well because problem solving is just such a, a huge thing in the industry as well, you know, whether it is a weather problem or whether it is, you know, yeah. now a new scheduling issue that's popped up or, you know, there's there's so much problem solving that goes into it. And mm. I think, you know, our first ADs are always, you know, yeah. the first people to try and fix Do that. Fix <laughs> Make it work. Yes. Oh, my God. It's so true. Um, I'm going to use this perfect point to wrap us up because – but I have absolutely loved – Yes, I've had a wonderful time. <laughs> Thank you, Madison. Um. So, Madison, where can people find you? Where can they stalk you onto the internet? <laughs> I'm um I'm on Instagram. <laughs> it's Maddie Movement, but it's a it's a private account, so you have to you have to request. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I do have a website as well, but that's sort of under development at this oh. stage. It's still, you know, I've uploaded quite a few things, but I just I need to get more content happening yeah. onto it so you know that's that's sort of where i'm at at the moment where you can find me where you can stalk me yeah just go on go and stalk maddie it's like <laughs> well worth it it's so much fun. no it was an absolute pleasure thank you so much for thank chatting. you for having me anytime and if you want to go and check out more episodes of the things we do you can check them out on apple and spotify i'll be speaking with another guest next week and i'll speak to you all later goodbye <laughs>